Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Once again, I just want to greet everyone in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I just want to welcome those who are here and those who are not able to come and they are watching from home. I just want to welcome you as well, and I'm glad that you are able to join. And as I always say, we are on a tour de Colosse, and we are on the 20th day of our tour, so almost coming to the end of the tour. It's quite exciting time as we go through this study, and. Uh, Last time, we looked at the first part of the household codes from chapter 3, and we looked at a few verses, verses 18 to 21. I did not want to rush into this because this is, there's a lot of things that we can take which are truly applied to us as believers. So today, we'll be looking at the second part of the household codes, and we are going to look at the last four verses in chapter 3, verses 22 to 25. Again, it's more preaching than teaching. It's a very practical session. It impacts every one of us, those in the work world. So I'm going to ask you to please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Now, Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about believers wearing new clothing. That's how we started in Colossians chapter 3. So when you wear this clothing, you begin to impact the surrounding. It's not just personal but it's relational. Because we live among other men and women, and we'll have an impact on our society in which we live. That is what Paul talks about here in this passage. So in this text, which, we, which is called the household codes, we looked at the household codes in our own homes. That's what he did last time when I spoke. And today, as I said, we are going to look at the impact in our workplaces. So as believers, wearing new clothing bears a responsibility. Bears a responsibility. If you look at uh, the Pauline epistles to the church in Corinth, and he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. So what he's saying is the old things have gone, you are a new creation. And he says, when he talks about all things that passed away, what he's saying is his old clothing is taken off. That's what he's saying. And then he says, behold, all things have become new. In other words, you are wearing new clothing. A new responsibility is bestowed upon us. And Paul says, he goes on to say in this, in this epistle, God has reconciled us to himself. That's how we became new creation. And then not only that, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Church, don't take it lightly. If you are a believer, God has given you a ministry of reconciliation. Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse, verse 20, he says, we are called the ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. What does it mean, church? That's the question we need to ask. It means an ordinary believers for all of us, our workplace, our place of uh, uh, even schools. Now, that is our primary mission field. We are the ambassadors there. It is where we'll spend the most time and often we'll be around the most people when you go to work. For the teachers... His or her mission field will be the co-workers or the other teachers and the students. For the businessman or woman or salesman, it will be the customers and the colleagues. For, the, for, a, for a medical professional, it's your patients. For the housewife, it's your husband and your children. So before we dive into this study today, which is very practical, I just want us to ask ourselves a question. Can people, please hear, the, hear my question very clearly. Can people at my job 
tell me that I'm a Christian. Someone who is set apart for Christ. How do I interact with my grumpy co-workers? Oh, my demanding clients. Oh, my unruly superiors and my subordinates. Ask yourself this question. How do I handle conflict in my workplaces? Does the way I work honor Christ to whom I ultimately am accountable? Whose life have I touched with Christ's love in my workplace? Whose life have you touched in your workplace, in your schools, in your hospitals? So church, this lesson today is very intensely practical. We learn the Christian's responsibility in the workplace. So one author writes that there are four types of Christians in the workplace. And pay attention to this place. The first type, he calls them, the Christian who is simply trying to survive. So they go, they go to collect a paycheck. They live from paycheck to paycheck. They are simply trying to survive. They have no purpose or zeal for interacting their faith at work. They have not seen the power or presence of God in their work lives. They will compromise, and they are not bad people. They are Christians, but they laugh along with all the, all the dirty jokes. And they go along with others. For them, their faith life and work life are two different entities. They yield to peer pressure easily, and they want to be one of them. Are you one of them? Is that you? The second group of people, this author says, is they're living by Christian principles. What do I mean by that? They tend to be ethical people. They're ethical people. They want to do the right thing. As long as I'm doing the right thing, I'm okay. They sort of self-righteous attitude. They never lead others to experience the power of God. Are you one of them? Is that you? And the third category, they say they are living by the power of the Holy Spirit. They understand the importance of developing a heart toward God through prayer, study of the Word of God, and obedience. Most of us may fall into this category. I don't know. Your actions at work would be in accordance with the prompting of the Holy Spirit. You would be seen as blameless and upright and good. You will not be laughing at dirty jokes and you might take a stand. Are you one of them? Is that you? But the last category, this author says, they transform their workplace for Christ. Because they are there, there is transformation that is taking place in that institution. They live by the power of the Holy Spirit that they can transform the workplace. They are the source of influence and the catalyst for change in the workplace. They would be sought out for counsel and looked up to as models, talk about as examples among the colleagues. Co-workers will want to associate with you. They will begin to share their burdens with you openly in confidence. They passionately seek the manifestation of God's kingdom and that will realize the transformation in their workplace. Are you one of them? Is that you? Which category do you belong to? That's the question. That's what Paul is trying to talk here. That's why I just broke it down into two components instead of rushing into this because this is an important study for every one of us. Every one of you, you are in the work world. In whatever the discipline could be, it applies to you and me. So the big question, church, is that what are the Christian's responsibilities in the workplace as an employee and as an employer? So today we are going to look at as an employee. It's important to understand the employer's role because you are interacting with an employer. It's important. We are going to look at that later. So how do we practically live this out in our current jobs so that we become the catalyst for change? We cause the transformation in our workplace. 
So with that introduction, let's dive into today's passage. I'm just going to put it on the screen. I'm not going to read that because it's already been read by Brother Bruno. But look at this verse. How is Paul starting this? Paul begins by saying, bond servants. Right? See that on the screen. Bond servants. He is specifically speaking to slaves serving their masters. You may say, hold it, pastor. Hold it. In our contemporary context, this may not directly apply to us. Because we are not slaves. We are not bond servants. It's true. However, church, we can still learn many lessons from this that apply directly to the employee and the employer relationships. We have to understand that the biblical principles, most of the biblical principles are timeless principles. They are timeless principles. So before that, let's talk about the institution of slavery and the scriptures teaching on it. Otherwise, you will not be able to relate to this. Now, slavery in the Roman Empire was a common institution in those days. Reports say that there were some 60 million slaves during this time. And it covered about half the Roman Empire. Imagine, half the population were slaves. And the report says that slaves held every type of position in that during that time. There were teachers and doctors and artists and musicians and almost among else, everything else they can think of. Now, some were born into slavery. Some sold themselves to, into slavery to pay off debts. And some were taken forcibly into slavery. Note that the scripture tells us the slave trade was sinful. That's what the scripture says. It teaches, the scripture teaches that it is contrary to the word of God. Look at this passage from 1 Timothy. Don't read the whole thing. I just want to highlight something here. Paul writes to, writes to Timothy. He says, we also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, etc., etc. And he says, for slave traders. They are part of them. Do you get it? Slave trade is for sinful. It's very clear. However, here comes the, the big however here. Scripture never sought, to, sought the abolishment of slavery as institution in the ancient world. In fact, when you read the scriptures, it permitted the institution of slavery and gave regulations to it. In the book of Exodus that we see this, let me read this to you. After seven years, a slave was supposed to be set free instructions given about slaves in the book of Exodus. And here we write that Paul writes similar instructions to slaves. So on one hand we see that it is sinful, but on the other hand we see this. Interesting, isn't it? Chuck, let me ask you a question here. If you were a slave in the first century, picture yourself, what would we expect Paul, who talks about reformation, to write? You're a slave. We are in the first century. Paul is talking about reformation. What do you expect him to write? You know, if I was a slave, I would expect him to write, abolish slavery, free me. Yes or no? That's what you would expect him to do. Some slaves were also hoping that Christian leaders like Paul that they would encourage them to provoke rebellion against their masters. Let's rise up against them. You know, very similar thing that we find about the Jews in that time. During the first century, if you were a Jew, what were you expecting? You were expecting a messianic king to come and do what? Overthrow the Roman Empire. Do you see the comparison? Note this church, throughout scripture, God's plan to change the world was never by revolution. It's never by revolution. 
Scripture never called for the abolishment of slavery, but the gospel certainly led to the abolishment of it throughout history. It was Christian, Christians in England were the leaders in the abolishment of the slave trade in that nation. It was Christians in, the, in, the, in America that led the way to the abolishment of slavery. So Christ came primarily to abolish slavery in the heart of man. So Christ came to make the man a new creation. So slavery has been abolished by changing the character of man, not the institution. Changing the character of man. So scripture teaches the equality of all people, the equality of men and women, proper respect in the workplace between masters and slaves. The way the scripture plans to change the world has been by changing the inner man, our minds, how we think. Romans 12, 2 says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So as we look at the regulations for slavery in this text, they may not directly apply to us, church, but there are many applications to us as employees and employers. So I go back to the question, what can we learn about Christian employee from this text? That's what you're going to see today. That's the question. What are a Christian employee's responsibility to his employer as seen in this text? So let's read this again. As we come to verse 22. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleases, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. When you're studying the word of God, please have different translations because it might help you to understand better. This is what NIV says. Slaves, not bond servants, right away, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. So the first responsibility that we see, a Christian employee must obey their employers in everything. Church, every one of you. You are called to obey your employer in everything. The first priority of a slave is to obey the, his master in everything. Do what the slaves may ask. Paul says, obey. Obey. Obey is not a word that we like to hear. I'm sure this would make some of us angry even today as we hear this. The slaves were looking for Paul to tell the masters, let the slaves go or for them to call for a rebellion there. However, Paul didn't do that. Why not? Why was obedience so important for a Christian worker or a slave? Church, there are at least two reasons why we should obey. Two reasons. A good Christian employee, listen, why you should obey your master in your workplace. Firstly, we obey in everything. It's very important in order to honor God's authority. To honor God's authority. Romans, we see this in this passage. And yesterday in our men's group study, we looked at it about submission. Look at this, Romans 13.1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Verse 2, therefore who, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. So what does this say in verse number 1? It says our employers and our bosses are appointed by God, whether you like it or not. They're appointed by God. And verse number two says, when we disobey church, you are dishonoring your employer. We are rebelling against God. That's why you have to obey. The reason you obey is not because your boss is superior or the boss knows everything, but because you're obeying because that is the way you're honoring God. That's why you have to obey. 
Church, listen, this means that our employers must see our submission to the authority of God in how we submit and obey them. So you ask the question, why? what about ungodly employers? How, about ungo how should Christians respond to them? Certainly we saw ungodly leadership in the story of David and King Saul. We saw that. Though Saul was mistreating David and trying to kill him, you know what David continually said? This is what he said, I will not touch God's anointed. Here was King Saul who was coming after David's life. But David said, I will not touch God's anointed. Unruly, ungodly employer, I will not touch. David saw God's authority on Saul's life, even though Saul was an ungodly ruler. We saw this with Christ and the Pharisees as well. Christ gave these instructions to the disciples. Now, here, look at this passage, please. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, he is saying, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. You know about Pharisees. You know about the teachers of the law at that time. But Jesus says, so you must obey them and do everything they tell you. This is directly from the Lord's mouth. Obey. But he goes on to qualify that. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. So Christ said the same thing as Paul. Obey them and do everything they tell you to do. They were God's authority over the Jews. And the apostles were called to obey them in everything. The only time church they were to disobey is when they are commanded to disobey God. That's the only time. And we saw that even with the disciples, with Peter, when Peter was asked to stop preaching in the name of Christ, he said, we must obey God rather than men in Acts chapter 5. So why should you obey your employers? Because obedience in everything is important in order to honor God's authority. That's why. The second reason why obedience in everything is important is because in your obedience, you draw the, your, your masters to Christ. So the number one is because it's in order to honor God's authority. Number two is that but through obedience, you draw your masters to Christ. Let, allow me to explain this. Look at what Paul wrote to Titus, and come along with me as I show it on your screen. Paul writes to Titus, this is what he says, exhort, that means teach, bond servants, slaves, to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, that means not to steal from them, that's what the word means, but showing all good fidelity to show that they can be fully trusted, that's what it means. That, now hear me out, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. When you do that, it says, they may adorn, they meaning who? Your employers, your masters may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things to make the doctrine of God attractive through your obedience. Church, when Christians obey their employers in their workplace, they make the teaching about God attractive to those who serve. Becomes attractive. So when Christian employees, you and me, when we are slothful and argumentative in our workplaces, we are actually, we demean the teachings of Christ. So next time when you get angry with your employer and your bosses and you try to become slothful and argumentative, remember this, you actually demean the teachings of Christ. We should always be aware of this in our service, our obedience or lack of it, it affects how people judge Christ. Your behavior in your workplace, my behavior in my workplace, it affects how people judge, not me, but Christ. 
Then you may ask the question, Pastor, how should Christians practice obedience in everything? I understand we have to obey. I understand we obey because this honors God. I understand it, we obey because it draws our masters to them. But how do I obey in tangible ways, practical ways? And Paul says that in the second part of that verse. Christian employees practice obedience in everything by working hard all the time. Let me read this to you. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Church, if you are truly paying attention to this message today, this will convict you. This should change you. This should change you. So Paul commands them to obey even when the master's eyes were not on them. You know that in many companies, when the bosses are not there, it's a, hey, it's, a, it's, a, it's a time to party, isn't it? But here Paul says, when the master's eyes were not on you. So the first thing is that we need to work hard all the time. Whether the master is looking at you or not. The second, second, secondly, how do you obey in everything is not by complaining. Not by complaining. One of the ways we practice obedience in everything is by not complaining. Look at Titus 2.9. Paul says this. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Slaves in this condition is employees to be subject to the employers. And he said to try to please them, not to talk back to them. Paul is telling to the slaves. We live in a world where everybody complains in the workplace. We complain about our bosses, about our pays, about our co-workers, about our vacation. We complain about everything, but we don't do that when you are seeking a job. Oh my goodness, I'll do anything as long as I get a job. Once I have a job, there's a sense of entitlement. All of us are guilty of that. Paul writes to the saints in Philippines, Philippi, and this is what he says, do, all, do everything. Do all things without complaining and disputing. And he says that you become blameless and harmless. This is to all of us, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation because your workplace is comprising of people who are, who are crooked and a perverse generation. And among whom, when you do that, here's what Paul says. You shine as lights in the world. When Christians do this in the workplace, they shine like a star in the dark light. It marks Christians in a dark world, and it also demonstrates that they are children of God. That's what you're seeing here, church. So let us move on. So we are looking at the Christian employee's responsibilities to his employer. The first responsibility we noted that Christian employees must obey their employers because it honors God's authority, because it draws their masters to Christ. And the way that we practice obedience, we looked at by working hard and by not complaining. Secondly, second responsibility, it says the Christian employees must obey their employers with sincerity of heart. Look at this passage. Not as, as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. The Christian employee must with sincere, work with sincerity. The word sincere comes from a Latin word which means without wax. In the ancient Rome, often the trade in the trade market, people sell pottery and, and if they see a small cracks on it, what they do is that they just, they want to make profit, what they did, they wax it and then they paint it and they sell it. So the word sincere, in Latin, it means without wax. Don't put wax on the cracks. That's what he's talking about here. So, but if you hold that pottery to the sun, you can clearly see the cracks. And you'll know whether it is with or without wax. So Paul is calling Christians to be honest instead of dishonest. That's what he's talking about. In today's workforces, it is common for employees to be dishonest with 
their employers. We do this by wasting our time in our work. They are paid to work a certain amount of hours a day, but instead of working, they play on the internet or they waste time on phone calls. We are all guilty of that. And also, increasingly common among the Christians is that we spiritualize it sometimes. Sometimes we say that we are talking about God stuff, about devotions. We are sharing the word of God while the employer is paying you for the time you are spending during office hours, and you justify it by saying, I'm speaking about God. How is it right in, your sight, in God's sight? Some, some of us, we are very common that we steal from the, from the workplace. We steal a paper and pens and anything else. And sometimes we say, we just earn it. They are not paying me enough, so I'm stealing. We justify our behavior. We hide, sometimes we take the Bible. I know people who have said, I take the Bible, I read it in my workplace. I cringe when I hear that. Who is paying for you to read the Bible in your workplace? Reading the Bible is not wrong, but reading the Bible during working hours is wrong, church. We hide behind our spirituality on our employer's dollars. So here's the question, church. Have you, how have you seen or experienced this lack of integrity in workplaces? How is God challenging you to be more sincere? So we are looking at Christian employers' responsibilities. First one we looked at is that we must obey their employers. Second one is the sincerity of your heart. Third one we are looking at in this passage is that, look at this, it says, fearing God. So our obedience or obey the employees out of reverence for the Lord. The NIV says reverence for the Lord, fearing God. So you may ask, what does that Paul mean by working reverence for the Lord? What does that mean? Working with reverence for the Lord means that anything an employer, employee does, whether it is sweeping or mopping or cleaning the bathrooms, should be viewed as holy work offered to God. Even when you are washing dishes, you know, I was, as I was preparing this, I saw one of the, well, one of the pastors, I made a comment that in his, in his, in his church, uh, next to this wash basin, he says that divine job takes place here, washing dishes. We are reverence for the Lord. Paul is telling the slaves to work for the masters, the reverence for the Lord. The question is, how should certain employees work with reverence for the Lord? How do you work with reverence for the Lord? By giving God worship and thanksgiving in everything while at work. Church, reverence is a form of worship and thanksgiving. Paul writes to the Thessalonians church and he says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What does that mean, you may ask, Pastor? Instead of arguing and complaining and, and, and the bitterness that in normal, is normal in the workplace, we choose to be thankful for what we have. Not be grumpy for what we don't have. Thank God that He is in control of everything. Thank Him for the using of everything that's good. Thank Him for the challenges. Thank Him for your job. Thank Him for your boss. Thank Him for your co-workers. Thank Him for the daily mercies. People should be able to tell you are radically different because of your reverence for God. That's the first thing. Second thing is that the reverence for God is submitting everything to God in prayer. Paul again writes, pray continually. Let everything that you do be bathed in prayer. Church, when you go to work and before you start work, pray. Say, God, bless this work. I want you to touch somebody through the way I work in this institution. You are, you are stuck with something. Just go and pray. Church, I'm not ashamed to share this with you. When I was in the secular world, there were many times I go to the washroom to kneel down and pray when I cannot find a solution to a problem. God comes through. Seeking God. Asking God. 
Ask for His strength. Pray, pray. That is how you pay. do it out of reverence for God. And thirdly, if you are, if, if you are reverence for God is by fearing His discipline. Church, the, 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 the slaves were, were so, they were doing their work out of fear for their masters because they would be whipped, they would be punished. We should be, when you are in our workplaces, our fear must be fear for the Lord more than the masters because He's watching us. The fear of God will stop you from doing things that are unethical and would keep you from doing wrong because he's watching you every moment. Even when the employer is not looking at you, always understand that the Spirit, Holy Spirit, which is in you, is watching everything that you're doing. He will prompt you if you're doing something wrong. Definitely he'll prompt you. There's a divine discipline for the rebellion against our authorities. Every Christian should be aware of this and should have a healthy fear of God because of it. It was this reverence for God's authority that kept David from killing Saul. Great example that we have in the Bible. He said, I will not touch God's anointed. It was a fear, a reverence for God that made him honor a cruel employer. So, so far we look at three things here. How do we, Christians, employees' responsibilities? Number one is to obey their masters in everything. Number two is the sincerity of hearts. Number three is out of reverence for the Lord. Number four, verse number 23. Look at that. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So Christian employees must work for the Lord with all their energy. Do it heartily, with all your heart. It can be translated, do it enthusiastically, excitedly. Christian employees should never be known for being lazy. They should work with all their heart because they are seeking to please God. There's only audience of one when you go to your workplace. It is God that you want to please it's hard when your employee is unfair and appreciate, unappreciative and don't treat people rightly. But Paul is saying, do it heartily. That's what Paul is saying here. Imagine you are a slave and you see another slave doing everything wholeheartedly. You would call him the master's pet. And when you start to do diligent work in your workplace, others might tease you. Others might call you by name, but your judge is not them. It is God. It is God. You know, it happened to Daniel, and he was hated for his work ethics. And, 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 and you know what they did? The co-workers, they, 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 they put a plot together to throw him into lion's den. You know the story. We, the believers, should be aware of the possibility of persecution for their labor. When you are doing things that are pleasing to the Lord, you may be persecuted. It happened to Daniel. No matter the situation, Christians should work heartily for the Lord to honor His name. So the question is, what are some of the reasons you struggle with working with all your heart in your workplace? How is God challenging you to grow in these ethics? So we looked at four things for the Christian responsibilities. Number one is that we should obey your masters in everything. Number two, we should do it with sincerity of hearts. Number three, we should do it out of reverence for the Lord. Number four, we should work with all our energy. Number five, lastly, Christian employees. Let me say what it is and I'll show you the passage. We must work for the Lord with a view toward God's judgment. Look at verses 24 and 25. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance. Paul writes, For you serve the Lord Christ, but he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. To whom is he talking? He is talking to the slaves. Picture yourself. Paul is telling slaves, to whom? The slaves. You work heartily for your masters, and guess what when you do? You will receive an inheritance from the Lord. 
How do you think the slaves would receive this? You must be joking. We are slaves. We are not entitled for anything. We are not entitled for anything. But you are saying what inheritance from the Lord. This is unheard of. This is really radical to a slave when they hear this. They cannot own anything. They cannot receive any inheritance. But this gives them hope. Great hope and motivation to the slaves, especially those working under hard master. Not only that, church, look at this very carefully. Paul says, there is a form of accountability when you work. Not only there is inheritance that you receive, you also repay sin. Look at verse 25. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done and there is no partiality. So on one, high, on one hand, you get the inheritance, there's a reward. On the other hand, there is a payment that needs to be made when you are not sincere. In essence, Paul is saying as Christian employees, we must work with the view toward God's judgment in both reward and punishment. That's what Paul is saying here. So then it begs the question, Pastor, what type of judgment or reward and discipline is Paul talking about here? What is he talking about here? He's talking about two types of judgment, church. Number one is earthly, and number two is heavenly. The first one is earthly. Look again at what Paul said. The NIV translation says this way. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, for there's no favoritism. The slave who was lazy, who cheated and lied to the master would be judged by God on earth. When you play around in your workplace, when you fool around, when you're being unfaithful to what God has placed you in, God is going to judge you here on earth. And scripture teaches God disciplines every believer for sin. Now I'm talking to the believers. Church, when you as a believer, and you are not faithful to the calling in your workplace... You know what God does? Hebrews 12, 12, 6. Because the Lord disciplines those He loves, who? The believers. He punishes everyone He accepts as son. You cannot get away from God's punishment. Nobody can. This discipline comes in various ways and, and God's disciplines are harsh and we know about the church in Corinth when they dishonored the Lord's Supper the discipline came in the form of sickness, depression, and even death. And I talk about this every time I, 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 we partake in Holy Supper. And we see that Paul writes, that is why many among you are weak and sick, a number of you have fallen asleep, but if you judge yourselves, we would not come under judgment. So God is, was disciplining their congregation for their sins in the church. In the same way, church, God is the ultimate judge of our labor at work, school, Wherever God has called us to serve, those who dishonor Him will be disciplined. However, this earthly judgment also included the prospects of a reward here on earth. Punishment on earth for not doing right, there is reward on earth for doing right. You know, most slaves had no prospects of a reward. But we see this throughout the scriptures. Look at Jacob. He was put to severe task by his dishonest uncle, isn't it? And while Laban was trying to cheat him, God prospered everything that Jacob did, the Bible says, actually made him wealthy in this earth while he was here. We saw this in Joseph. He was a slave in the house of Potiphar, but while serving there, he was faithful, he was obedient to the master, God promoted him to the head steward of the whole household. It happened to Daniel. Daniel served in Babylon among the bunch of pagans. His co-workers hated him and they tried to kill him. But because Daniel had integrity and was working for God, God continued to protect and promote him. You know the story. Paul wanted these slaves to know that promotion and discipline really come from the Lord. Church, are you looking for promotion in your workplace? Here's how you can get it. Here's how you can get it. 
Christian workers must understand this concept. When they do, they will ultimately seek to serve God and not fear their employees, employers, and their co-workers. Promotion and favor only come from God. Listen to this passage. Look at this. No one from the east, the psalmist says, or the west, or from the desert can exalt themselves. It is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. He brings one down. He exalts another. I have tasted it in my own life. I just want to share that with you. Let the Christian worker seek God. It is he who exalts. And it is he who brings one down. Paul now says the judgment is not only earthly, but also heavenly. I spoke about earthly judgment, but it's also heavenly. We see the prospect of judgment and heavenly reward in many passages, and especially we see it in 2 Corinthians 5.10. So for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for him, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. The word judgment in this particular passage is actually, it comes from a word called bima. It is not the judgment in a court case. It is like an athletic game to see what reward that can be given to the winner. That's what this passage is talking about. So in the same way, one day God will judge our works, not to condemn us, but for a reward in heaven. When we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, God is going to look at you and say, how faithful have you been? He will reward you. It's not a question of sin at that time because the sins were judged at the cross. So at the judgment seat of Christ church, it is not about your sin. It's about the reward. One day at the resurrection, each of these slaves' works would be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ. God would look at their attitudes and their works and consider them in light of reward. reward. Even when you are not recognized here, church, I want you to get this. The Lord will do so at the resurrection. Look at this passage. Luke 14, 14. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. You shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One day, these slaves would receive an inheritance from God. And Paul clarifies that in 1 Corinthians 3.12. He says, if a man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, etc., etc., because the day will bring it to light and it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So some will be rewarded because their works were precious stones and metals. When you have been faithful, it's like precious stones and metals in the sight of God. Others will lose reward because of the cheap quality of their works. Some will go through the judgment seat of Christ as though just escaping the fire. Oh my God, I just made it. With no rewards whatsoever. Paul was calling these slaves to live in view of this judgment. Church, we should live in view of this judgment. Not only while working, but also throughout life in general. Heavenly reward must be the motivation that each Christian should desire. So Paul is encouraging us to run in such a way that we may obtain the prize. Church, note that even when the disciples wanted to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, Christ didn't rebuke them. He did not rebuke them, but he just says, he who will be the greatest must be the least servant of all. He doesn't rebuke their ambition. He just tells them the right way to do it. The right way to do it is that you must be the servant of all by being a servant. Paul's instruction was great news to these slaves who had no prospect of reward. 
Paul tells them, have a proper view of God as judge. Seek his reward and fear his judgment. That's what Christian employees must do. A view of God's judgment as well. This should be our primary motivation while working. Church, in concluding, let me just wrap up all the four points that we looked at. Christian employees' responsibilities to the employers. Number one, we must obey our employers in everything. Number two, we must obey our employers with sincerity of hearts. Number three, we must obey our employers out of reverence for the Lord. Number four, we must work for the Lord with all our energy. Number five, we must work for the Lord with a view toward God's judgment. When you do that, you become the catalyst for change in your workplace. There will be transformation because you are there in that workplace. So I really appeal to every one of you, take this message to heart. Let us now be the doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Shall we rise as the worship team comes and let me close in prayer? I know, church, this message is very personal to every one of us, very practical to every one of us, because we are all in the work world in some form or the other. And I pray that you take these instructions or exhortations personally, but you cannot do that unless the Spirit of the Lord prompts you and helps you. But our prayer should be the Spirit will always do His work. We must be yielding to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the message that we heard. Thank you for the exhortation. Thank you that you have called us to obey our employers and to work diligently. And we pray that now as we go back into the work world, we pray that we'll be sensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and we'll be obedient servants, not just for the masters, we obey because we are your children. And help us to live a life focusing on the reward that's awaiting us at the end of our journey. So be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.